Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Noonan First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermons. We are currently looking forward to meeting together again for in-person worship starting on Sunday, June 28th. This will obviously look very different than before the coronavirus, but we're excited to start our new normal. Of course, if you don't feel comfortable coming to the church for worship at this time, we completely understand and will continue having online worship as we have been. If you do decide to come or are on the fence about it, rest assured we're doing everything we can to ensure the safety of our worshipers. For a complete guide, as well as a list of requests and requirements, see the latest Shepherd or visit noonanfumc.org slash reopening, and reopening is all one word. Also, please take a few seconds to fill out our reopening survey found on that same page. This will help us as we try to figure out the best way to welcome you all safely in person. Finally, make sure to stay in touch and get all the news you need at our website, noonanfumc.org, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, you can sign up to receive emails by going to our website and clicking email list under media. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you soon. Today's scripture comes to us from the second chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking, saying, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to blood, to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. We also will be reading from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39 today. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. In these passages on Pentecost, we hear the story of the birthday of the church. That day when the Holy Spirit descended upon believers and dispelled the language barriers and brought them all together so that they could celebrate all that God was doing. I want to focus today on that passage from John, which is not our typical Pentecost passage, but it is a passage that is important in understanding Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. This uh, feast, this Feast of Tabernacles, was one that first century historian Josephus said was the most important of all the Jewish festivals. Historically, this is the festival where King Solomon dedicated the temple Though originally a harvest festival, it became associated with eschatological hope for a time when God's life-giving presence would flow out of rivers from the temple like water from a rock in the wilderness. In this festival, there were elements of water and light, and in the Gospel of John, we hear both elements used to describe Christ as the living water and the light of the world. Um, in these festivals, we often see Jesus speaking and, and foretelling different things. The Synoptic Gospels generally only speak to one of the festivals celebrated in Jewish custom. However, John's Gospel is filled with them. In John's Gospel, we begin in chapter 2, verses 13, with festival scenes of revelation and conflict as Jesus overturns the tables. These festivals punctuate the narrative moving toward the death of Jesus and the final Passover feast. Even a brief reference to the upcoming Passover in chapter 6 is in proximity to conflict as he describes himself as the bread of life. This passage then leads to danger uh, as we discover that Jesus would be in danger in Judea and so he was staying in Galilee. The conflict with authorities intensifies with four references in chapter 7 to the threat to kill Jesus and another three to the threat to arrest Jesus. More references to Jesus' arrest and death are made here than in any other chapter. And in 739, we hear that first reference to Jesus being glorified through his death. This festival encounter ends at the end of chapter 8 with the first attempt to stone Jesus. And it is in this atmosphere, one of menace and fear, that the stage is set for this passage in which he invites those who are thirsty to come and drink. Jesus, who came to the festival in secret, 
stands out at the climactic moment of the celebration, the great day when a dramatic water libation would have occurred in the temple. It would have been poured down into a funnel that would have then run down and come down for all to see. And here he stands and says, I am the living water. Whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me, will not thirst. Amidst this conflict, these would have been words of contention. This would have created even more conflict, even more animosity against Jesus. In his invitation, he built on the relationship, drawing between himself and manna in the wilderness in Exodus He speaks of himself as the bread of life, where manna only provides for a day. When we seek him as the bread of life, we seek him and we find something that is so satisfying that our hunger is no longer an issue, for we are filled. We are satisfied. We are content. As he speaks to this living water, he echoes back to John chapter 4, in which he offered living water to the Samaritan woman. Water is not a new image in this gospel. If you will recall, Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding at Cana, and it was his first miracle that he did. Pairing of water and the Spirit is seen in the testimony of John the Baptist in the first chapter of John, and again in the conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3. The word koilea is used there in chapter 7, verse 38, and it is understood at the heart, as the heart or the seat of emotion. It's also the term that is used to refer to the womb in which Jesus would come. This use of water and spirit and heart in both places suggests a connection between water and the spirit between new birth and what God will do through Jesus. You see, Jesus will convert the koilea, the heart of believers, from a place of thirst to a source of abundant living water and a conversation about the Spirit. The water that Jesus gives becomes, for those who drink it, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And finally, the glorification that is foreshadowed in 739, becomes reality in John 1930 as Jesus hands over his spirit as water and blood pour forth from his side. Mita Stamper noted that the idea of the spirit flowing not only from Jesus, but also from the believer is consistent with the promise of this gospel that the father and son are to be one with the believer as they are one with each other. Jesus and the Father are to make their home with those who love Jesus and that the Spirit is to come as Jesus, after Jesus, as another advocate to abide in Jesus' own and make Jesus and the Father present to them. Jesus repeatedly tells his own on his last night that he will be sending his Spirit to them in a new way after his departure. 
With Jesus' bold invitation and promise, John 7, 37 through 39 calls readers to remember God's faithful provision in desert places in the past, to trust in God's assurance of abundant goodness in the future, and to celebrate the gift of life-giving spirit flowing through them like rivers from the throne of God even now. The spirit could only be poured out when Jesus goes away and gives up his spirit in death. Living water springs forth from Jesus when he is at his most vulnerable, when he gives of himself for others. Throughout John's gospel, there are common themes, and one of those is so specific to the Pentecost message, and that is presence through absence life through death, and power through relationship. On this Pentecost Sunday, this text offers us great insight. You see, this invitation was not only offered to those who were thirsty at that festival, but to those who are thirsty now. Now, I get thirsty when I go bike riding. And recently, I was on a bike ride over at Lake Horton in Fayetteville, And it was a particularly hot day, and I went through several bottles of water, and I typically don't drink that much, but I was incredibly thirsty that day. And I was so grateful to have those bottles there with me to relieve my thirst. But that was only temporary. The thirst that Jesus can quench is eternal. Are you thirsty? Do you find yourself hurting and wanting, especially during this time, longing for the company of your loved ones, longing for that hug around the neck that you simply can't have right now, longing for and thirsty for economic relief, relief in a relationship, relief in a friendship, a workplace, What is your thirst? Tom Long, my preaching professor at Emory, said this, to be human is to be thirsty for something more than we have, thirsty to be someone more than who we are now. I don't know about you, but I've spent some time during this shelter-at-home time in which I have gone back and watched shows or caught up on television or perhaps just sat down to relax with a movie. And inevitably, the commercials come on. Advertisers are seeking to quench our thirst. Whether it's a diet product or a pizza, or whether it's um, that car that would just complete your life, they are speaking to the thirst that we have as human beings, those longings for something more than we have, things that will make us more than who we are now, and yet none of their products can truly quench our thirst. Jesus' invitation is far more than a shallow call to meet those needs in our lives, those desires in our life. Jesus is speaking to people who have tried what the culture has had to offer then and now. 
They've tried what the culture had to offer and found it empty. These are people who are burned out on the world's hollow promises, seeking something that is solid and eternal and life-giving. So Jesus, instead of offering a sweet, fizzy Dr. Pepper or other drink, summons people to the fount of living water, one that will not leave them wanting. His invitation echoes back to Isaiah 55, come to the waters all who thirst. And later in that same same passage, why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jesus is saying, when you have discovered that none of the empty promises of culture can ease your thirst, come to me, drink of the true and living water. United Church of Christ pastor Lillian Daniel had been involved in a uh, protest against some labor practices that were completely unjust. And so she and those with her ended up finding themselves being taken into custody. And she found herself in a conversation with a jailer. He had overheard she and the others in the group singing Amazing Grace and praying to God. And as she talked with the jailer, she learned that he was former military, that he wasn't happy with his job. And as they were talking, he said, you know, I think the best day on my job was today that I can ever recount. And she asked him why. And he said, well, I really liked hearing the songs and the prayers. That was fulfilling for me. And she said, well, why don't you do something different if this doesn't satisfy you? And he said, well, I only have two years left to retirement. And he says, but in my expertise, I can tell you, you won't be here long. And she said, well, I hope you get out soon too. She saw that he was in a place where he thirsted and he longed for something more And she began to talk to him about God's amazing grace. We often find ourselves in a place where we can offer others the same invitation, where we can, through the Holy Spirit working in us, speak to others about the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are thirsty, and I imagine each of us are in a different way, Let's sit with that invitation today. Come to me, all who are thirsty. The passage also speaks to what happens when we respond to that invitation. And that is Jesus promises not only to quench our thirst, but he promises that if we come to him with our thirst, we ourselves become rivers of life. The Holy Spirit makes that possible. When thirsty people come to Jesus, it's not merely just a spiritual beverage offering momentary relief. When people come to Jesus who are thirsty, when they seek him and the grace he has to offer, when they believe him, He gives them the living water that leads to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is no longer just an idea. 
but for the believer, a living, constant, unceasing presence. Through believing in Jesus, we receive that Holy Spirit, and through the power of the Spirit, we have Jesus in our hearts. I'm going to close with some words from Dr. Long, which speak to how important Pentecost is in our lives. The shock of the Christian life is that the glorified Jesus has once again, through the Spirit, become flesh in the lives of believers. And the result is not that Jesus has become confined in the small spaces of believers' hearts, but that the lives of believers have become like His, large and life-giving rivers of life. One of the things that I saw happen on a mission trip uh, recently was just offering water to those who were thirsty. Imagine what we can do if in every single day it becomes our mission to offer the living water of Christ. Amen.